Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. For everybody listening, I know I'm rambling, but you're closer than you think you are. But just know something that you're sort of keeping from yourself. If you think you're great, chances are you're sorely mistaken. And you should look back and then go back on and try to be greater than that. If you think you're going too slow, go slower. If you think you're writing too many jokes, write twice as many jokes. If you think you're performing too much, double it. It's just all about the repetition. Hot breath. Here we go, Hot breath averse. Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and every single Monday, we are dropping a podcast all to help cultivate the next generation of self-made comics. We've done over 400 episodes with so many legendary comedians and influencers within the comedy world, but it doesn't get much more influential than today's guest. I'm so excited and honored that he was willing to jump on the show and go for way longer than expected. The guest today, any of your favorite comics, any of the most popular comics you're seeing today, this man had some sort of influence in one way or the other. If you don't know him, he's known as the kingmaker in this comedy game, and he's going to be dropping a lot of gems for you tonight, today, this morning, whenever you're listening. Be sure to take notes and prepare yourselves for a comedy masterclass from a comedy industry master. All I ask in return for this amazing content is that you don't keep it a secret. Share this with fellow comedians. The more we can help each other, the better comedy is going to be for it, as we are all here to help each other get better together. So share this episode with your fellow comedians when you're out at shows or on social media or in whatever groups you're involved in. And enjoy yourselves, as there is only one thing left to do. And that is inhale a hot breath with Barry Katz. All right, Hot breath averse, welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and we're on a mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics by interviewing today's great comedy minds and today's guest, is the perfect person to help us keep this mission moving, learning from what he's learned. This is a comedy legend. His comedy journey actually began, like most comedians, as a, a troublemaker in high school when a guidance counselor referred him to work as a counselor at a special needs camp where he actually ended up writing several plays and sketches and exercising his comedy muscles. His favorite album was actually Bob Newhart's Button Down Mind, specifically the driving instructor skit, which he actually performed at a high school talent show, and then at his first open mic ever. And despite being a Boston University swim team standout, he jumped headfirst into the Boston open mic scene, even living in a basement apartment he bought from a fellow open micer who just also happened to be a real estate agent and a parasailer of some kind. 
But he did comedy around the Boston area for about 10 years before moving to New York. But in that time, he hosted and ran several clubs, including Played Against Sam's, where he actually became the owner of that. He booked Stitches Comedy Club and 50 other one-nighters around the New England area. When he took the leap into New York, he actually took over his friend Eddie Brill's comedy club, Paper Moon, rebranded it as the Boston Comedy Club. And the rest is history. Boston Comedy Club became the incubator for the comedy stars you know and love today. And what's best about Barry is that he practices what he preaches. He wanted to help comedians that aren't getting all the opportunities. And those comedians just happen to be Dave Chappelle, Dan Cook, Jay Moore, an entire roster of comedians. We could spend this whole podcast running through. But in summary, our mission at Hot Breath is to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And there's no better person on the planet to discuss this with than Mr. Barry Katz. Mr. Barry Katz, welcome to the Hot Breathiverse. All right. What an honor. Hot Breath. What was the second choice? <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This was a cold breath was taken. I'm so sorry. Um, dang, I, I, was can't trying believe, to... I, I can't believe that intro. It's like now I realize on my podcast on Industry Standard, after hearing that intro, I realize that now I have to shorten mine. Oh, I mean, your podcast intros are a podcast within themselves for sure. You should throw those on Patreon, you know, squeeze a little bit out of them there. But yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Um, it's That's what was great in just learning about your journey is just you wanting to help comedians that weren't getting the opportunities. And that's what this show has become. And that's what we're hoping to create here with Hot Breath is that platform that showcases comedians that voices aren't heard. And I think with the internet, that's more possible than ever. Yeah, we're on the internet. We will be. Do you know what the oh. internet is, Barry? This isn't dial-up. I think your internet comes with a sun dial-up. I think that's how old your internet is. You're, you're totally right. You're sun totally dial-up right. wasn't bad right there. You that gotta, was a funny line. I, gotta, I, was, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go with my internet has bell bottoms, but no, that, <laughs> I, like, I like yours better. Thank you. Yeah, not bad for 11 o'clock on the Eastern Standard Time right now. But I'm excited to be here. I'm honored to be here. And uh, I, I love uh, talking about the business. I love, uh, I love helping uh, people with their journey. And because, uh, you know, I've had a long journey. And after this podcast, I'm quitting the business. So this is good. <laughs> what, what I would love to dive into is because with, I mean, with how quarantine is and just internet and Zoom shows and all of this, it's like there's there seems to be more ways than ever to quote like become a professional comedian. What are some of the more unconventional paths you've seen people take to become like professional comics? Well, firstly, what's your definition of a professional comedian? A full-time, now I didn't want to say make it because that was vague, but most of most of our listeners are they their goal isn't to be like Kevin Hart. Their goal is I just want to be a nationally touring comedian. I want to make a full-time living at this with 30, 50 grand, six figures would be over the moon for most people. They just want to make this their full-time career. Well, I think more importantly than talking about <clears throat> I don't mean to steer you in a different direction, but I think more importantly than talking about unconventional ways to make it, I think it's more important to talk about 
the conventional ways to make it. And when I say conventional, I mean through repetition, hard work, and blowing people the fuck away. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're doing Instagram videos in a bathroom in Tijuana or if you're going on stage in a club that allows 50 people now in Jacksonville, Florida, you're doing a Zoom show, a podcast, or you're writing uh, little tweets, whatever it is, the bottom line is if you want to get to where you want to go and make it, you have to fuck people up. And, uh, and if you don't fuck people up, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna do well. You're not gonna, yeah, you can make a little bit of money here and there or whatever, but the bottom line is, is the people that make it, how do they make it? They're throwing haymakers. They're, they're fucking punching away. They're, 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 they're going on and they're delivering those lines or those stories that just, it's like a car accident. You're, you know, you have to slow down and watch. And then when you drive past, you pick up your phone and you call somebody and you'll say, you'll never guess what I just saw on the side of the road. And that's what I guess shocks me sometimes so much. And I, I don't, I want this to come across the right way because I don't want to sound disingenuous, but it seems so simple to me, the solution to success. Yet people ask me in a thousand different ways how to make it, how to get to the next level. And to me, like it, it's so evident to everybody. Everybody has the access to the internet where you can see everybody's first appearance on every show. You can study it. You can transcribe it now with Otter AI. You can look where the line is delivered and where the premise ends, how much time before they deliver the last line, how much time it is between laughs. You can study people's poise, their power, their confidence, everything. And so if you're doing lines that are incredible, I mean, just I've talked to your audience, like here's something to look up. We can pause this podcast and look this up. Um, on YouTube, you want to see something fascinating. And again, it might be too old school, but I think over 50 years ago, Rodney Dangerfield was Jack Roy. And he was what you talked about, that comedian that was making a living. You know, he was working across the country as a working comedian. He made his enough money to have a little house and support his family a little bit, but he wasn't blowing up he wasn't blowing people away but he was competent and he was good and he was a good joke teller but not like extraordinary mm. and then he took a risk he took a real risk and he became rodney dangerfield at i think it was close to 50 years old 
I think it was 46, maybe 47. And you can go on YouTube and type in Jackie Gleason, Rodney Dangerfield, and you're going to see one of Rodney's first appearances as Rodney. So you'll see he's not really totally full Rodney. You know, he doesn't have the bright red tie and then the handkerchief where he's tapping his forehand. He's not like twisting his neck around. He doesn't say, I don't get no respect over and over again. And, and there's no Vin, Dr. Vinny Bumbach and this, but he slings the jokes. Now, to go one step further here, your audience might say, well, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a joke and I don't tell jokes like that. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not telling you the story because of what type of comedian Rodney was. I'm just telling you about something that a man did. He, he saw the way things were going in his career and he was going like 55 miles an hour down the highway from New York to California. And that was fine. And it's fine for a lot of comedians. A lot of comedians are happy with that. But a lot of comedians don't realize that the possibilities that they have to go higher and to go greater. And Jack Roy or Rodney saw those possibilities. So he created something that has never really been done in a long time. Now the argument could be made, well, Henny Youngman did the one-liners 20 years earlier when he started. And, and you know, in the 50s, and Rodney was just carrying on that style again in his own way, which is fine. You know, when you go to see a movie, a romantic comedy, you know, the first act, the guy is single. He goes to a wedding. He looks across the room, sees the girl. The music swells and like, oh, there's chemistry there. Then he starts going out with her, has a relationship in the second act. She breaks up with him. Then the next act, he's trying to figure out how to get her back. And at the end of the third act, they're at a wedding kissing and the camera goes up in the air and says the end. We've seen that a thousand times. So, so formulas are okay in comedy. But the point I'm trying to make for your audience is that you have to uh, as I like to say, be undeniable. Rodney Dangerfield, there's no way you can watch these sets and not laugh. If you can sit there and not laugh, I, I, I don't know, you know, I know there's humor for everybody, but it's incredible. And people talk about also, well, you know, I'm trying to concentrate on the stories and stories are what's great in comedy, which they are. But what people don't understand is that Rodney Dangerfield was the greatest storyteller in short increments of anybody that you could ever imagine. It's if you just think of anything, you know, my uh, you know, my parents didn't like me. My bath toys were a, a fan and a toaster. You know, it tells, it tells you that his parents didn't like him. They wanted to kill him. They want him out of his life. And that he was not very smart for using the toaster and the fan in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to the bar. I said to the bartender, surprised me. He pulls out a picture of my wife. Tells you he's a hard partier. He goes to the bar a lot. It tells you he has a relationship with the bartender. He thinks he's his friend. 
And then he finds out that his bartender's new smart and pulls out a picture of his wife. Then he finds out his wife is cheating on him. I mean, in four seconds, in four seconds, you have the whole thing. I was ugly as a child. My, my father used to tie a pork chop around my neck so the dog would play with me. It tells you you're ugly, your father is cruel, and you know you, you need to go to far extremes to get anyone to, to play with you, even the dog. You know, so he had this whole story that he created and as a persona that nobody was doing, you know, and the tagline, oh, I got to tell you, I don't get any respect at all. No respect. Oh, that's so, pretty good there. And so that's that. But then let's go, let's flip it one step further. Let's go to, let's go to 10 years ago. Let's go to Jim Jeffries, the gun control bit. A 10-minute bit where a man goes on stage to an American crowd. He's not American. He's not American. And he goes in to a theater with an American crowd that is presumably 50% in favor of guns and 50% not in favor. And he goes on stage knowing that. And he comes out on the other side fucking killer weaving back and forth in his own way the story of guns and how his opinion is and what happens and going to both sides but knowing where he's going to go to the end where he unifies the crowd that wasn't all with him in the beginning just incredible incredible uh, piece of comedy uh, and and even if you look at like this time, Chappelle, who's somebody who I represented for eight years, look at sticks and stones. Is there any, I mean, if, if you can watch that special and don't tell me that, if you can't tell me that this guy doesn't, you know, isn't walking up the mountain of Mount Rushmore as we speak, if he's not planting and carving himself in the mountain after that special, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what. So you can't, you can't deny that. And it's not just, you know, oh, he's Dave Chappelle. He's great. People just listen to him and laugh to him for what, whatever he is or whatever he's done. All right, if you believe that, fine. We'll go back 20 years ago and watch his first hour special, Killing Me Softly. Watch the crack baby routine. Him driving through Compton, where he's even scared driving through there as a black man, and how he's having a dialogue with the baby. You tell me if you don't remember that. And so, again, it was a long way of saying it, but... If you're a comic out there, the biggest thing is figure out how to write and create original pieces of work that don't go on common themes that everybody else talks about, which is hard. So try to find something like that's unique. Look, another thing I want to stop you guys and have you Google, I'm not Google, go on YouTube, um, Gary Gullman, Conan, um, the uh, abbreviations. Uh, this is 
an unbelievable piece of comedy. Uh, it's breaks a lot of rules. I, when you watch it, you'll probably say, well, he's not crushing like these other people. I get it. But a bit that is so smart that revolves around the people who decided <laughs> how to abbreviate states. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many people you know in comedy that do routines on how you abbreviate states, but I don't know any, and I've been doing this for 40 years. Mm. Now, could I put a guy on stage after him that would blow him off stage doing that bit? Yeah. But that bit is like watching great jazz. I mean, it's like insanity. It's, it's just, it's, 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 it, it's, it's like if you were watching Miles Davis in a club or something, you know, riffing or whatever. I don't, I don't know. So, but that's another example of something that's just, you're going to get where you want to go if you're doing stuff like this. Last thing for your audience. Um, 25 years ago, Sarah Silverman made her debut on Letterman. And for your audience who isn't a, a big follower of this, Letterman was like the gold standard of doing five minutes of stand-up on television. It's when things mattered when you did five minutes. Hmm. Keep in mind, 10 years earlier, Louis Anderson and Roseanne Barr debuted on The Tonight Show six months apart. And within six months, they were headlining 5,000 seat theaters. That's how powerful the genre was. Sarah was a young comedian, probably in her early 20s. <clears throat> Did she deserve to be doing Letterman in her early 20s when there were so many comedians that had been doing it for 10, 15 years? Probably not. But the exciting thing about when you watch this set is that you're going to realize, and I'm talking to your audience, you're going to realize that you're not as far away from making it and getting to where you want to go as you think you are. Because Sarah Silverman on The Letterman Show does 12 jokes and two tags. So 12 jokes, and she's on the most prestigious show at the time, probably was 21 or 22 years old at the time, okay? But what she has is charisma, poise, confidence, but in her own character of way of confidence and timing, cast iron timing for a lot of the jokes. So you just can see it happening. You can see when you're watching her that she probably worked in the clubs, probably bombed a number of times getting the set together because the kind of set that probably if you do in front of 10 or 12 people, you're going to get titters. But when you're working in front of a big crowd, that's what you're training for as a comic. You're training for that. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to see. So when she, I'm paraphrasing some of the jokes, but so I'll probably fuck it up. But like, I just remember some of them that just 
were just again those 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 haymakers and they were clean you know so you have like uh again i'll fuck this up but you know the she said she was in a nightclub and a guy came up to her uh asked her for her number and she gave the guy a number and you know she gave him the wrong number and she felt really bad so she moved there hmm. and so again <laughs> again not like a joke where you're like you know like rodney where it's like just a punch to the face but a cerebral kind of thing where i saw the way you laughed it was like you heard the joke and it was just like the audience on letterman yeah. they heard the joke and there was this little bit of laughter then it built and built and then it was a huge applause break mm -hmm. and she'd have all these kind of things and like another and if she wanted to be dirty she figured out a way to be dirty and still do it on television. I remember one other joke, and, and I, I hope I don't butcher this, but she said something like, uh, she just starts off, she's like, uh, last night I was uh, licking jelly uh, off my boyfriend's body. Now, right then in that premise, if I were to ask you, Joel, what would your joke be after that premise? Um, you know, you got one, you're delivering a joke after that. And you'd be probably thinking the same way I would like, uh, um, and I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, God, I didn't get to, I forgot the peanut butter today. Or uh, I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, how do I make a nutter butter? Or, or yeah, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what kind of sponge am I going to use to clean this? Whatever. I'm thinking all these different things, but not Sarah. She takes you on that journey at 21 or 22. So, you know, uh, last night I'm licking jelly off my boyfriend's body and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother. <laughs> oh, it's great timing too. And so... <laughs> And so it's like the thing where your your comics out there, you're writing the premise, you got the premise. And what a lot of comics don't do is what talk show writers do. Mm. Like Joel, if, if you got a job as a talk show writer on let's say Kimmel or Fallon or Colbert, okay? And you wrote a hundred jokes a day for him for the monologue that night, how many do you think you get on? Two? Two, two, you'd be a god. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, yeah. three, you'd be a deity and same thing. Four, you'd walk on water. And five, <laughs> you'd be, they'd be carrying you around the office on their shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, you got to understand as a comedian or anybody in this business, we're in the like a one to 3% business of success. Yep. We're not in it. We're not in a, we're not in the brain surgeon business where we have to be perfect every time. If you're an actor listening to this, what do you, you know, what do you book? You know, what's your booking ratio? I mean, if you book like, if you book like 5% to 10%, you're like, you're golden. And if you, you know, like, like Beth bears on two broke girls, you book your, you know, your second job of your life out of a hundred and you're set for life. You know, so in comedy, when you're doing your jokes, you can't expect that 
everything is going to come right away. You got to look at your premise that you write. And then you got to look and write like a hundred punchlines to it or 20 or 30 or 50 or at least 10. And then just look and see what's best. I, I want to share something else with you. And I'm embarrassed that I can't remember this woman's name. I'm sorry, but I get sent so many, uh, so many videos. And I love watching videos. I'll watch anything anybody sends me as long as it's, you know, like a short five minute video. Noted. And so I, this, so this uh, woman uh, is playing this like, you know, sort of uh, shitty little cafe room. And she's a beautiful woman and she's dressed like nicely, which is rare for a comedy club for a guy or a, a woman to dress nicely. And this is her first line. I'm going to tell you the premise. I'm going to tell you the beginning of the joke. And I want you and your audience to think about what you feel would be the best joke for this premise. Okay. <clears throat> I'll just make up a name. Uh, Hi, my name is Jane Doe. I'm 45 years old. Um, you know you're getting old as a woman when? What's your joke, Joel? When your husband tells you? Great. And so the audience, I implore you to think of what your joke would be there. Now, my joke, when because what I do when I see videos, sometimes I'll just stop the video right there and think of the joke that I would tell. <laughs> That's awesome. Because <laughs> I, I love thinking about that. So I stopped it right before she delivered it. Because you know when the premise is, you know what's going on. It's like her very first joke. And I stopped it and I was thinking, God, what would I write for that? And then I, this is the joke I would have written that I, I thought of. I said, uh, you know, I'm 45 years old. You know, you're getting old as a woman when your spanks have an expiration date. Mm, and that okay. was my joke. And mm -hmm. I thought, God, I fucking killed this. This is unbelievable. And then I go back and I press play. And her first joke was like a haymaker. If we could go full circle, a fucking knockout punch. Hi, my name is Jane Doe. I'm 45 years old. You know, you're getting old as a woman when you have to buy your own cocaine. <laughs> Oh, almost as good as when your husband tells you, but that's still pretty good. That's great. So you see, so you see, she's got the story. She mm. she said she's opened up. She's talking about herself. Hi, I'm a woman. I'm 45 years old. I'm feeling old. This is how I know I'm feeling old. And then you find out that she is a partier and she's done cocaine or she's doing it. Mm -hmm. so you have the whole story of her whole persona and her whole lifestyle right there in the beginning. And then you have the punchline word, cocaine, a double consonant. Boom. Yeah. You know, and again, somebody might say in the audience, well, Barry, that's a drug reference. That's, you know, that's an easy laugh with the drug reference. And, you know, I get the argument. But the point is, is that that joke can never fail. I don't think it can ever fail. It's so strong. And so when you're writing as a comedian, when you're putting stuff together, if you can put 
12 to 20 of those together, something, and even if you're a storyteller, you're, you know, you, when you're weaving the story, even the punches within your story, you know, using another guy that I represented for probably eight years, Bert Kreischer, the machine, mm-hmm. you know, just telling the story and, you know, just pounding the thing, the true life jokes in there. So that's what it's all about. And, and, and if you can do that, get a helmet, it's all over. It's all over. And you, I, I, I can guarantee you, you will, people will be chasing you like your ass is on fire. And if you're a comedian out there and things aren't going well for you right now, uh, you know, you got to look in the mirror and then shine the light on your material and shine the light on your laughs per minute and shine your light on the originality, shine the light on your power, your poise, your confidence, and, and your whole thing. Now, granted, I know some comedians that haven't made it yet that I know are going to make it big. Joel and Myers. I, I, yeah. and I, I could tell you in a heartbeat, and they haven't made it big yet, and it's a struggle, but it's only a struggle because, you know, they're working in a shitty area of the country, you know, some area of the country doesn't have a great scene and they're, you know, they might have a family or things or commitments and they're trying to figure out how do I get to an area where I can be, go there and be great and showcase myself. And so they're kind of stuck until they can take the risk and get out and go for something. But I know... I know many comedians who I know will make it. Now, do they necessarily know they're going to make it? They hope they will, but I'm rarely wrong when it comes to seeing somebody and knowing if somebody's going to do well. I've, I've, I've been fortunate and humbled to probably work with over 25 people that started in a studio apartment with nothing and became multimillionaires and, and household names. And so you know, once is, you know, the a coincidence twice is luck three times. It might be a fluke 25 times. Even I have to say to myself, okay, well, something's happening here. And so, but in the end, every single person that I've seen do that from Wanda Sykes to uh, Dave Chappelle to Bill Burr to Dane Cook, um, Nick Swardson, uh, Tracy Morgan, Daryl Hammond, uh, Jay Moore, they all, they all were undeniably great when the money was on the line and the spotlight was on them and each had their own thing. And some had not as good material as others, but were better performers, some vice versa. Look, you know, Dane Cook always took a lot of heat. You know, we had a lot of amazing times together. I represented him for 17 years and I I work with him on every special, every album. And he was frustrated like most people listening are frustrated. You know, he knew that he was great and he knew he could do it, but people weren't giving him the chance and he couldn't really move and he'd work in these comedy clubs and they'd be half full and just frustrated but he realized the power of the internet early on 
And he told me early on that he was going to make a difference. And he asked for my help to help him <clears throat> build social media, which I, I honestly, I knew nothing. You know, he said, we're going to build a website. I'm like, what's a website? You know, it's like, I didn't, but he showed me things that I could do with him and what he wanted to do. We followed a plan and to the point where he could press a button and sell out Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden twice in one night. Never unheard of, never done before. He hadn't even sold, he hadn't even sold 500s. Maybe he was in a 500 seater was the biggest paid audience he was in before he sold out 39,000 seats. Jeez. But <clears throat> what I'm saying about him is <clears throat> a lot of comedians, they try to understand, okay, how was the rise so, how was the rise so big? Was it the social media? Was it whatever? But Dane, he's a very smart, smart guy and very smart businessman. And he had an understanding that <clears throat> if he could be a tremendous performer, if he could be a tremendous physical performer, if he could use his voice and the intonation of how he delivered things in a certain way. And if he could create three different lanes in his standup, he could appeal to the masses. So he had silly material. Hey, you ever been so drunk you get in a cab on the way home and you think the fair is the time? Just a silly joke. And he had the sexually charged material where it was all about dating and relationships and having sex and those bits that were hardcore, yet they were dirty. They were blue. So, you know, comics might say, well, he's doing dirty material. You know, that's why he's getting the laughs. But then he had the other third, which was like the atheist bit, that 10 minute bit that he did on Vicious Circle about the uh you know the guy sne him sneezing and the atheist and that is an incredible routine that you know weaves in and out and it's it's just an amazing story mm -hmm. um, and he was able to get some of the smart people some of the people who weren't so smart some of the people who like dirty stuff and they all came together and um and he created a persona and something that really took the uh, country and comedy by storm at that point in time uh, for at least, you know, a five or seven year period that was killer. And so, so yeah, I'm sorry. So, so that's the whole thing is just for your mm -hmm. audience, just concentrate on figuring out and studying your material. How am I going to blow people the fuck away? Cause I've, I've been doing comedy 11 years now and last year i self-produced my own comedy special called the trophy husband and that was that's like my attempt at trying to create my own success like i've basically been completely focused on just getting as good at comedy as possible coming up in the atlanta scenes doing wherever i could perform and then hitting the road and doing just like comedy zone gigs and things like that just getting stage time and entertaining people so like i do believe I'm going to be a great comedian. I actually do believe that I, I will become a name in this game and actually be producing my own specials, but also my own movies and really become, I'm not aiming for the middle here. You know, I, I truly believe that I will be a star. 
So for someone at my juncture in my career, what it, what advice do you have? Is it to shine the light on my material? Is it looking for where my originality is and where I can expand on that? What are my three themes or what is my persona? Like at this point in my career, I understand like what, what, what advice would you have for me? Barry Katz. That's a great question. Well, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I have not watched Trophy Husband and I haven't watched any of your stand-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tell you what, this could be an interesting thing. I know you are recording, but can you play your best five-minute set for your audience and me? And I'll tell you what I think. Right now? Yes. Yes, I can. I want, I want you to play me the short set that you would put in a time capsule to be opened up five, I'm sorry, to be opened up 50 years from now (laughs) and to be the representation of what you would want people to know and think of you as, as an artist. All right. Let's listen to it. And I will make, I will tell you what I think afterwards. And I will be totally honest with you. I'm not going to pull any punches. I just one man's opinion. Of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll, I'll play a, a clip from my comedy special. So I have a... Or it can be less than five minutes, but five minutes or whatever. Yeah, so this is a... Um, so this will be a clip from The Trophy Husband, and this is actually me. It's a three-minute clip, and it's me actually talking about... Don't uh, set it up. Yeah, you're, oh yeah, you're air. right. I was trying to I was trying to fill air as I'm pulling up the video, but yeah. This is gonna play, this is gonna play on Sirius XM or it's gonna play on the radio forever. It's nobody's gonna have a setup. There's not gonna be a voice coming on the DJ. Hey, tell them what they've won, Johnny. <laughs> and now we've got Joyce. Yes. <laughs> and this bit's about being a trophy husband. And this is where the toilet paper is on the stairs and he steps over it. And, oh, I'm sorry, that was John Henson. Okay, let me... Uh, All right. So it what wasn't else? John Henson. It was somebody else. Uh, it was John Heffron. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, now with Joe Byers. Yes, coming up, Joe Byers. I wish someone warned me about the wedding planning, though. Oh, my. I would rather plan a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> No one warned me of the interrogation that was going to happen. Every day, my wife would just wake me up with her eyes wide open. Who's the band going to be? What's our hashtag going to be? I'd say, I'm good with whatever your parents pay for. Um, I defer to Ann and Randall. Let's talk to the investors on this. Because I'm still paying off your rings. Yeah, congratulations, ladies. You get two rings. That's why we get paid more. It's a ring tax. Yeah, Beyonce didn't tell us that part, did she? She just said, put a ring on it. He's like, if you like it, then you gotta put a ring on it. She forgot to mention, but if you love her, you gotta put another ring on it. And then there's a ring tax, you gotta keep paying. Oh, no, 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 no. It was all worth it, though, man. I tell you, the, the wedding, the wedding is like an emotional release. Like, I'm, 
Like, I cried a suspicious amount. It was cute at first. <laughs> People were like, oh, he loves her. But then it escalated to, oh. <laughs> He's about to confess. <laughs> but it is emotional. I think anybody who's married in here, any man, when you... <laughs> you see your wife walking down the aisle? And it hits you. That's it. The wedding planning's over. <laughs> Bring me the tears. Oh. And then my wife started, she saw me crying, and then she started crying because we were getting behind schedule. <laughs> All right. Right. So let's let's put that on the screen. Could you just put that on the screen, um, the wide shot, please? Of Absolutely. just, yeah, you can put it on pause because I want to talk about everything. Yeah. Can you see it? Yeah. Okay. So um, this is interesting that you pause at this point here. You know what you're doing here? Uh, I'm laughing. That's right. You're laughing at your own joke. Yes. So when you see a comedian laughing at their own joke on stage, how do you feel? It's a crutch. How do you feel? They don't, I feel it's lazy. How else do you feel? I feel like they're having fun. How do you really feel? I don't like it when That's comics right. laugh at their own jokes. That's right. Why don't you like it? It's it's like hypnotizing the audience to laugh instead. Your punchline should be telegraphing the laugh instead of you having to act it out for them. That's correct. Yes. So that's one of the first things I noticed that was a few times this is a three minute clip. And I think there were there's one, at least one other time when you do that. And so if you're doing that twice in three minutes, what are you doing an entire hour? You know, and the fact is, is that you're an 11 year veteran and it's about comfortability and confidence and power. And here it's like a, a magic trick to help, you know, get the audience on your side. Now, in all fairness, Joel, um, there's a lot of great comedians who have laughed. Like if you watch a Chris Rock special, who another Mount Rushmore guy, you know, Chris Rock breaks all the rules. You know, you're, you're, when you're a comic, your hope is that you can cut all the words out as possible, as much as possible, and deliver as least amount of words, the shortest distance to a straight line, uh, at the pinpoint at the end, the destination is your laugh. Uh, Chris Rock could be setting something up, you know, three times. You ever notice when you're out with a girl, you know, when you're out with a girl, you know, when you're out with her, 
you know, and it's like, and you're like, well, yeah, I do know, you know, but it's mesmerizing and that's what he does. And, and it's, that's his style. And, you know, if I were to go to Chris Rock and I could tell you many stories of our conversations, you know, the fact is he paid his dues. He can do anything he wants and break any rule he wants. Chappelle does this whole special, this brilliant, brilliant special, stops at the 30-minute mark, smokes a cigarette. Hey, you know, um, you know, guys, when you're alone in your bedroom and, you know, I, mean, I know I'm getting old as a guy when this happens, you know, you start touching yourself, you start, you know, jerking off and halfway through you just say fuck it and go to sleep. And then he goes on to do 30 minutes of the most brilliant stuff after that. And I remember when I took him aside and asked him about that, you know, like, why do you do that? Like, why do you do that joke that anyone can do? You're Dave Chappelle. You bookend it with 30 minutes each of some of the greatest stuff in the world. What are you doing there? And, you know, again, having the shorthand with him and representing him for so long. He said to me, Barry, man, sometimes I just like to do shit for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, but Chris Rock, you could say something to him. I remember when he had me, uh, I was down watching one of his specials and he opened up with, you know, the rehearsing for one of his specials. He opened up with like 10 minutes of Michael Jackson material. And he asked me what I thought after the set. I said, you're, you're brilliant, but I don't understand. You're Chris Rock. Why are you doing 10 minutes of, you know, Michael Jackson material? And in Chris's unique way, like he would say something like uh, to me, I'm paraphrasing, but he'd look at me first. He'd say, yeah, Barry, what did you write today? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> But then he'd go on to say, listen, I do the best fucking Michael Jackson material and no one does it better than me. And if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. I deserve it. I deserve to be able to do whatever I want. I paid my dues. Mm -hmm. Joe Byers hasn't paid his dues. So Joe Byers doesn't have the opportunity to... um, You know, Joe Byers wants to get where he wants to go He's got to try to create something that will take people and take their breath away and not do things that other comics might be in the back of the room saying what you just said. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's fucking laughing at his own jokes. I can't fucking believe this. (laughs) Yep. All right. Secondly, let's let's talk about something else here. So you self-produced your own special, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're this is I'm telling you this before we talk about the material. Um, I hope you don't hang up on me violently after No, this is exactly what I needed. All right. Please. So, so what do you notice about when look look at look at what you see right now? What do you notice about that? Like what do you see? I see like a in star term, in terms. Yeah, I know that, but I'm talking, I'm, I forget. Let, let's, let's pretend you're photoshopped out of this picture. Now, what for the sake of the audience, we're watching a shot. We can see uh, the first two rows. It's like a, looks like a, a, a smaller kind of comedy club. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at a, 
it looks like a curtain from an exhibition hall that was uh, for a college uh, entrance uh, exhibition hall where they show you the pl pamphlets. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it looks like it's clipped together in, at top uh, in a way it's kind of like uneven at the top. There's lights coming down on both sides that look like lights that you'd have at like a party uh, in your backyard. Um, could you take that thing off the screen so I can see? What do you see? Okay, now that's good. Okay. Oh. Then now we can see uh, the parts of the ceiling where the lights are and the wires. It looks like you're looking at the inside of a submarine after it's been ripped apart by a torpedo. There's chains hanging down on each side and clips that I don't know what's happening. There's a gold microphone hanging from a wire above his head like a boom mic in a porn movie. There's a table on the stage that's bright red with some kind of drink that has a label on it, which he could get sued if he has it there. And so oh, that's hot breath. breath. That's the hot breath logo. Oh, good. So that's good. Okay, that's good. All right. And then, and then the the audience that he's placed in the front two rows are totally distracting me from him. He's got the, um, he's got a man who's directly in front of him that conservatively probably weighs about 350 to 450 pounds. Yeah. Okay, it's right directly in the front row in front of him, followed by two over by this bald guy where the shine off of his head is distracting me. And then there's another guy with a baseball cap on with a yellow bill. And so I'm like trying to watch and I'm like, what, who placed these people? It's like literally like you went to Disney World and you said, hey, everybody. Come on, I'm doing a show. I want you in my front row. Yeah, just put the put the strollers in back. Yeah, yeah, it'll be okay. Just here you go. So, so when you're self-producing a special, what's so great about self-producing a special for you listening is that you are in control. You are the fucking boss. Mm -hmm. You are the writer, the executive producer, the star, the set designer, the sound guy, the, you know, the, you're, you're the lighting person. You have all the time in the world to set it up exactly the way it is. You can look in the cameras and see, okay, how the placement is. Okay, how's the center shot going to be? How's the side shot going to be? How's the other side? Okay, great. Okay, these curtains look a little bit weird. Let's get some lighting on this to make it a different color, or do whatever. But it's literally like you're doing a show at like a, it, it looks like you just, I'm just being honest with you, it just looks like you just didn't put any thought or effort into the aesthetics. You put thought and effort into how you look. You look like a million bucks. And so you're like, come out there dressing like you're doing a corporate event for multimillionaires and your set design. So you're dressed like an A and your set and everything how it is, is an F. 
So now I know somebody might say, oh, well, Barry, you know, you don't turn off the Academy Awards because of the set. But the fact is, is that this is something that's a representation of yourself. And we haven't, we're not even talking about material right now. We're just mm -hmm. talking about the presentation, which you had complete control over. And you determined that this look is going to be the best representation of you. You determined that, hey, uh, people are gonna look at this, there's gonna be, they're gonna love the gold mic hanging down and the wires and the little lights and the black thing and the huge guy right in front of me taking up almost half of me. They're gonna, the audience is gonna really respond to this first class look. Right. And, you know, for like six dollars on a bucket of chicken, you could have made this look like brilliantly wonderful and picked a different 12 people to be in the front row. And but you didn't. And, and, and what you're wearing, you know, you know, is a, is a choice for anybody's wearing like a three piece suit that looks like almost a suit that he would wear, you know, at a at a function with his wife or a wedding or, or the after what do you call when you. Yeah, that's the, the that's the suit I wore at my wedding. Yeah, so so yeah. so that's so I understand why you're wearing that because it, it it solidifies the theme of the trophy husband, right? And so I get it, and so that's fantastic. So so that I want to share that about putting your special together for your audience. Mm -hmm. If you're going to shoot yourself in a special and you're going to kill yourself to make it work, make sure that you take the time to where it looks as unbelievably great as possible. Look at the tricks of the trade. Look at low budget specials that look more amazing. See what they did. Research techniques. Maybe there's some kind of different way to do something. Maybe there's some young kids in your town that are like, um, you know, great directors of photography, great lighting people who are just, you know, young kids in college, but they want to intern and work on something. But you have to, you have to put something together that's a, the best representation of yourself that shows that you care about yourself and you respect what you're doing. When you look at this set, now I want you to be honest with me. Don't lie to me. Mm -hmm. If you were to rate this set, the way you're looking at it right now and the whole presentation with the audience in front and everything that you see right there. From zero being the shittiest aesthetic of a comedy special you've ever seen in your life to a hundred being the best, what would you rate that? Be honest with me, Joel. Yes. And this venue is the first place that ever booked me as a headliner. So the context for that, but I, and that's all, all the context I thought of when actually filming here was like, oh, yeah, that'll be a cool part of the story. But you saying all these things, if I'm comparing it to any other comedy special I've seen. Zero to 100. What's your rating of that? The aesthetics of this. 25, Barry. No, just be honest. Whatever you feel. Yeah. I'm, I... I I mean, I'll give it a 10. Okay, 10 out of 100, okay? Right? Right, yes. Okay. 
what's what's an F? What's a D minus? Yeah, anything below 60. That's right. And you gave yourself a 10, and it's you rating yourself on the setup there. You can still work at the club where you started and create a nice homage for it and talk about it and do a skid in the dressing room or whatever, but, you know, dress it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you rate your performance from zero being the best comedian you've ever seen in a special to a hundred? I'm sorry, zero being the worst comedian you've ever seen in the special and a hundred being the best in terms of the material and this clip and your performance. What do you give yourself? I give myself a B. So like an 85? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this isn't my favorite material from the special, but I thought it would be a good personal representation. Of- right. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to be generous too. And I'm just one person's opinion. Right. Um, just Barry Katz's opinion. That's all. But I give you, I give you, uh, I give you a B or a B minus myself. Now, okay. and I'm going I'm to tell you why. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you why I agree with, agree with you. Because, because the bit itself, the theme of the bit itself, you know, marriage has been covered a million times, but the way you're covering it is very unique. You're covering it from the angle, not only of the husband, but you're making the joke that you're a trophy husband, which, you know, honestly... I, I would think that your wife would be very angry with you because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you why. Okay. When you're a guy and you have a trophy wife, who's better looking, the guy or the girl? Right. So if you're the trophy husband, what you're saying is that your wife is not good looking. Wow. I never made that connection. So that would, in, its, in, its, in itself, to me, is like a, a, almost a negative connotation to women. So the title of the special itself, to me, and I'm not a, a woman, obviously, uh, at least not today, um, uh, <laughs> but, I'll, but, I'll be, but I'll try to be gender fluid for this. I don't even know. What um, a jacket's helping. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so what it's the, the connotation of the special the name of it, even though I think it's really original and unique, it's kind of derogatory towards women because it's saying that you're you you're cocky enough to say that you're better looking than your wife and your wife isn't good looking. Would you disagree with that or agree with it? No, I, I agree with that. And it's something I never even considered. Yeah. But. But however, the, the material itself is, is, is really interesting how you get into it about the wedding and the rings. And like you did a bit on the girl has two rings, the guy has one ring. You don't really hear a lot of that. So you explored that. And then you, you rang out the material. I'll explain what I mean by that. Like, so the premise is like, a, I, I like, I've been probably saying this my whole life. The premise is like a washcloth that you take out of a bucket that's filled with water and you lift the washcloth up and then you're like, you do your first premise about the wedding and then there's the first joke, divorce. And then you wring it and the water comes out. 
And some comics just go on to the next bit, but not you. Then you go the interrogation and you ring it again. Then you talk about your wife and the parents paying for it. You ring it again. Then you go to the two rings. You ring it again. And just when you think there's no more water coming out of it, you go with the paid more line. And then you ring it again, the ring tax, Beyonce, put another ring on it. So you're just like taking the premise and you're squeezing every joke, every laugh out of it until the very end. And that's one of the most amazing qualities that a comic can do, which is really, really impressive. And it's really something that most comics don't, don't do as much. They sort of get in and get out. I'm not talking about everybody, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, and so you go all the way through with that whole thing. And it's, I think that's why I give you a B minus and a B plus now. Is the delivery um, as strong as it could be? Is the timing as strong as it could be? Is the power, is the poise, is the, you know, is the force behind it as strong as it can be? Does the bit close off with that fucking knockout punch? No. But you can watch this and you can see, you could see how this could be a late night set on television. Now, again, the comics listening might say, or, or Barry, who cares about late night sets? You know, nobody watches those anyway. But when you do really well, they watch them on YouTube afterwards millions of times. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a really important to, to think about that. And so you can feel that this is a set that could really be strong for late night television. It's clean. It talks about relationships. It has a unique take on it and talks about the wedding, which men and women love to talk about. That's why it was earlier. I said about movies, how they, you know, sometimes, you know, end in that wedding scene and whatever it is. And so I think there's something really special here. Uh, when you're doing late night, will you like will you dress in and you get your first spot? Will you have to dress in that suit? No. Uh, you know, is there a joke about being a trophy husband where you can tell it where it feels good to the men and the women and it's not insulting the women? I'm sure you're gonna find many jokes for that, and you probably already have them in the special. Mm-hmm. So so I think that you have something, you can feel it if you take the time on stage and the timing is right. You can feel like how you're going to get applause break after applause break in a nice theater of a television set doing that, you know, it's because it, it relates to everybody. And, uh, and so, um, again, you're not crushing it here, but the concept and the way it's structured and the joke after joke after joke after joke with the premise. It's like Shanling, if any of you or your audience watch the Zen Diaries. You know, his whole thing was just, uh, you know, Judd Apatow used to think that he didn't like his stuff because he never used any of his punchlines. He only used the premises. And Shanling would tell him, hey, man, the premise is everything. I'll write, I'll just write the punchlines and pick one. And so it's here, you're just writing to each thing. And it's really, really, um, 
I like it. You don't see this a lot. You don't see this kind of comedy a lot. And so I think that there's something there's something special there for a set that you really could put together for, you know, this is also the kind of set where I'm not suggesting you audition for it, but this is the kind of set for America's Got Talent that they love because it's just one joke after another, after another, every five seconds, six seconds is another line. And that show loves that. They don't love the comics and do storytelling because it's only a two and a half minute set. Um, but, um, the last thing I want to say is, and I know I've been, you know, tough on you in certain spaces here. The third thing I wanted to say is that for anybody listening for you, you should be very, very proud. And this is why you should be proud. You fucking did it. You did it. You went out, you put it together, you put your balls on the line, you put it out there, you did it. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, it's not it's not the best it could be. But you went out there and you took a risk. You know, I always think about this. You know, you go to Madison Square Garden for a boxing match. You know, there's only two people in the ring. Both know there's a chance they can win and lose. And then there's 20,000 people who are spectators. We don't have the balls to get in the ring. So you got in the ring. In this particular case, I don't necessarily think this is a win for you. I don't think this is going to be the thing that's going to take you over the top. Um, but it's an exercise in knowing what you're capable of. And, um, and once uh, I would suggest you get people get back in the club, I would suggest you figure out a way to reshoot the special again, take this off and, and just replace it with the new one that you do. That's a little, you know, that really showcases uh, the venue in a way that, you know, it's as first class as your material and you are. And, um, and, and then um, I think you're going to be in great shape. Um, I also think that, you know, one of the toughest parts for you, uh, presuming you're still married, is the fact that um, it's really, really challenging for any comedian, man or woman, who is married. Because, you know, when you get married, you have these roots and you're in a certain place. And, and if you want to do something or take a risk or move forward and do anything, it's two people that have to make the decision. And a lot of times both people are on the same page when it comes to these things. So if you wanted to move to Los Angeles and start doing your thing, I don't know, you know, what your wife and you have talked about, but that's a really scary thing for people to move away from their family and their friends and, and to pursue something that they look as, as, you know, a, a risk and, and might not come to fruition. But, you know, somebody like you who has this kind of material and has the kind of timing and has the kind of ability to write the bits where they just go one after the other like that. You know, in Los Angeles, I think you have a great shot of making an impact on 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 the scene. Um, but you got to be ready when you come and you got to be ready to fuck people up. And when you go on for the first time, you got to be 
have been training your whole life to be ready for anything when you go on. And um, once you win the comics over, um, again, get a helmet. So your advice is to reshoot basically what I've done here. Keep rewriting it and basically reshoot it at a higher production value the way it should be. Yeah, and just make the right choices. You know, just talking about the forget you're even in the picture. You know, look at the front row. Look at what the distraction you have there. Right, yeah. It's like there's a man in the front row that is taking up half your body. <laughs> we did. That wasn't it. Yeah, he just sat there. We didn't. No, no, Joel. No, you are in control. Mm -hmm. You control everything. You know, when we shot Vicious Circle, and again, there's people out there that might hate that special, uh, and some that might love it, whatever, everybody entitled to their opinion. But the first five rows around Dane Cook and Boston Garden were empty. They were empty an hour before the show. We didn't sell those seats. Now, those seats would have gone for like $250 a piece. You know, we could have made a lot of money, but we made the decision not to sell any of those seats. And then we went up into the last row of Boston Garden and we handpicked the people for those rows, real fans who had no money and who were, you know, who uh, were his demographic between, you know, his age range that he wanted to show that he was appealing to. Um, so in other words, even though, you know, even though his, maybe his, I'm just speculating, but even though maybe his best friend or best family friend might have been 57 years old and bald and wanted to be in the front row, he'd be like, look, man, I just want to have this group that can see this is the group of people, whatever. And maybe that's ageist or whatever, or, but you just wanted the kind of vibe in the front row. It's like, it's like a nightclub where, you know, how they have the people outside. And a lot of times they formulate the people outside that they want people to see from the street that are going to be appealing to go inside. I'm not saying it's right or it's correct or it's the, but it's just right here in your special, you have about 14 people that are going to be seen in the long mm -hmm. show. So, you know, you want to make sure that nothing distracts anything from you, but it also shows that it's your, you know, a core group of your audience and whatever it is. Now, the second row, I can't really see anything. So that's the second row doesn't bother me. It's the front row and the, and the, you know, I, the, nothing from the um, two or three women in the front row is distracting to me. But for some reason, everybody else is. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't know. Yeah, do you feel that same way? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. and this self-producing a special was like just trying to show comics, hey, you can self-produce a special and not have to wait on anyone to like affirm you, you know. So that like was my I, attempt at doing that with this. And like I said, that's why I have so much respect for you. You should be very proud because you did it. And you didn't sit, you didn't sit in the stands and watch other people do it. You did it yourself. And so I'm, 
you know, you should be incredibly happy and excited about it. And, um, and, um, I'm grateful you let me watch it and tell you what I thought. I'm just one person's opinion. You know, it's like, there could be 10 other opinions who could tell me to go fuck myself. You know, it's like, I just telling you how I feel instinctually. Um, you're, you have a good instinct. So am I, am I a star Barry or do I go back to enterprise rent a car? No, you have, you have star quality when you, um, when you have the confidence and power uh, within the bid, but when you don't, you're, you know, you don't really want to rally around you as much when you're look at like, look at you right there. Like, I don't want to rally around the guy laughing at his own jokes. So I don't see star quality there. But when I see the guy delivering the great joke about the, you even do some jokes that take risks where you talk about, you know, you said something that was really risky, but it was edgy, but it was, you can tell that it would kill because you're so lovable. It's when you say, you know, women have two rings, you know, guys only get one. That's why we get paid more than you do. Mm -hmm. That's a fucking great joke. It's, it's tough, tough to hear. It's edgy. It's going to get some ooze, but it's a nice joke. And so, yeah, so, but I think the thing is, is that the body language tells me, I, I, I can't, I, I'm just, I'm just one person's opinion. Your body language told me in this three minute clip that you don't believe in yourself as much as you could. Mm. And that it tells me that you're not as confident in your trajectory as you could be. And, um, you know, like you, you watch Pete Davidson at 19 and, you know, the guy's had a hard life and he's just standing up there and just even delivering one line. I am six foot two. I weigh 145 pounds. I have a problem with wind. And it's just, it's just, there's just something that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm in. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he's confident at 19 and why he, you just get the feeling like he believes it, like he really believes it. And everything in our life is a sell job. Everything's a sell job in business, everything. We're selling ourselves on stage. Every time you get on. You're, you're working out in the gym, but you're selling, you're, you're practicing your sales pitch for when you get to the front door of the big whale who has all the money that you have to sell the Encyclopedia Britannica to or whatever it is you're selling, the vacuum cleaners or, uh, or the, the big guy comes on the lawn and you're selling them the car. You know, you're, you're practicing your pitch over and over again. And so... You have to sell the audience on, they have to feel that you're as confident in yourself as they should be in you being funny. And so when you laugh at your own joke like that, that's telling the audience subliminally, he doesn't believe in himself. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, if we went up to anybody in the audience and said, what does it mean when he laughs at his own jokes? 
they probably might not have the answer that I just said, but subliminally, that's what comes in, in my mind. Now, again, there's great comics who laugh at their own jokes, who made it big, and those who haven't. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about now. And so as a comedian, you have to do everything you can to put all the lottery balls in the hopper so you can win the lottery. Everything helps. Everything you do means something. It adds the percentages of taking it to the next level and getting where you want to go. Thank you so much, Barry. That is exactly what I need to hear. Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I, I don't. Yeah. Thank you. That's exactly what I need to hear. Thank you so much. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. And I, the, yeah. the audience doesn't know this, but before um, I did this, uh, I did like a pre-interview with Joel and he said, uh, Hey Bear, I just want to let you know, we're, we're going to do, uh, you know, 40 minutes. I'm going to ask you a bunch <laughs> of questions. And I said to him, uh, I don't think you understand, uh, you know, 40 minutes is like a half of a question for me. I mean, like, it's never going to happen. Yeah, it will, Barry. It's 40 minutes and we're just going to wrap it up then. I'm like, okay, uh, but you don't understand. It takes me a while to answer a question the right way. Barry, don't worry. I, you know, if it's going off the tracks, I'll stop you and whatever. Yep. Yep. Meanwhile, meanwhile, an hour and a half later, this is, a seven, this is like a seven-part episode. I was like, I believe my words were, I'll keep you on the tracks, Barry. And then I ask one question, 45 minutes later in my head, I'm like, he was serious. He really did it. And then I, I was like, let me shoehorn in if I'm a star or not. And then the, here we go for another 45 minutes. So you being so generous with your time is amazing. So I appreciate that. Barry. No problem. Just know this, you know, you have something also that is really wonderful. You're huggable and lovable. And that's like a big, big thing. Uh, granted, again, did Dennis Leary make it not being huggable and lovable? Yes. But for the most, did Lewis Black make it not being huggable and lovable? Yes. But for the most part, it's a really great quality. And you have charisma and you have this thing about you that's just really, really like, I feel safe with this guy. Mm. I feel safe. And that's a really wonderful thing as well. And so I, I really enjoyed this a lot. I, I've never done uh, an interview like this before. Uh, I just want you to know that I've never, and for, for letting me sort of improvise and, and do that, I, I really, really appreciate that. And I just want to let you know that I'm, for your audience, that I'm working on this initiative that is so uh, comprehensive on how to help comedians that it, it, it's been so overwhelming. I've been working on it for about three years and I'm about to launch it uh, in about a month. And uh, it's called The Blueprint for Success in the Comedy Business. And because you know, I do the podcast Industry Standard, I've been doing that for close to nine years and that's free. And I, you know, I manage artists and I also do consulting with people one-on-one. -on -one but I don't have anything in between where I can have all these tiers of different things where I can have different levels of really helping people in a way where 
I still have time to do my other stuff, but I can really pinpoint in and helping artists get to the next level. So I'm excited about that. And, and they can go to barrycats.com and, and uh, check it out. And, uh, and like I said, we'll be launching soon. And I think uh, that's something that will really help a lot of people. And, and I, I'm grateful that you gave me the time here. Uh, it means a lot to me and, uh, and good luck with everything. And if there's anything I can do, any question I can ever ask you or, or answer, I, I would be honored to do so. Wow. Thank you so much, Barry. Yeah, we'll definitely help you promote that however we can whenever that comes out. And yeah, I'm yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. And you're helping a lot of comics with this. And you yeah, even just personally, thank you so much. That that was great. Wow. <laughs> kind of speechless. I'm ready to like go be undeniable now. That was awesome. Well, you can be and you will be, and the possibilities are so great for you. And and for everybody listening, I know I'm rambling, but you're closer than you think you are. But just know something that you're sort of keeping from yourself. If you think you're great, chances are you're sorely mistaken. And you should look back and then go back on and try to be greater than that. If you think you're going too slow, go slower. If you think you're writing too many jokes, write twice as many jokes. If you think you're performing too much, double it. It's just all about the repetition. My son is, is uh, seven, 16 years old. He makes music in his room all day long. I asked him, uh, how many songs have you written uh, since the beginning of the year? You know, I'm thinking he's going to say 30, 40, 50, whatever. I, it's like 140. I'm like, you, you wrote 140 songs. It's like, yeah. You tell me, Dad, you know, repetition, keep going, keep doing it over and over and over again. My other son's 15. He started on this website chess.com i don't even know if you anybody knows i didn't know it existed like three to four million people on this site from all countries and chess is one of these amazing things just like music where there's no language it doesn't matter where you are in the world so he's playing people from iran australia cuba communicating with these people and he starts at a certain level and now he's in the top one percent of everybody playing chess on the site of three or four million people it's repetition i said how many games have you played he said over two thousand i said you played over two thousand yeah and that explains why you get to that point so as a comic it stands the reason that if you have a friend that's going on three times a week and another friend that's going on nine times a week, who's going to be three times better at the end of the year? It, it's just, it's just common sense. It's work harder and smarter than everybody else. And you'll change your entire destiny and trajectory. And I know I've taken too long. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate it. This has been wonderful. And again, 
Uh, thank everybody for listening, and I hope I didn't put you all to sleep. This was amazing. Barry Katz, thank you so much for your time. We will be in touch, my friend. Have a good night. Take care. Thanks. There it is, hot breath of verse. My favorite moment has to be my special getting roasted and complimented by Barry Katz. I would love to know what your favorite moment of this podcast is. And if you do want to see my full special, it is linked in the description of this episode. It's by donation to watch it, but I'm a comic out here on the grind, producing my own success, hoping to inspire others to do the same. So if you want to support that mission and see a dope comedy special, please do just go into the description, check it out, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. Hot Breath is a four comics by comics platform, all on a mission to cultivate the next generation of self-made comics. So don't keep this podcast a secret. Share it with the other comics. If you want to level up and get more educational tips and resources, we do have classes and workshops and so much more to help you get better faster. But whatever we can do to help here at Hot Breath, we're all in this together, my friends. And do also reach out to Barry and let him know how awesome this episode was so he knows the hot breath of verse. He feels the hot breath of verse and the rumblings that we're creating in the comedy industry. So go forth. You have your mission, hot breath of verse. And I look forward to seeing you back right here on Monday. Right here on Hot Breath. <sighs> This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.